Corrupt FM was one of the biggest pirate radio stations in the whole of Brentford, yeah? Right. Well, it was the only one in Brentford. It was the only one in Brentford, that's what yeah. I mean, so it was the biggest. It's not easy managing Corrupt. Any sane manager would have quit a long time ago, but not me. But apparently their music is being used on a TV show in Japan. It's bloody batshit mental, mate! Long-time fans will love it, even if its charms were a bit thin for anyone who doesn't already have Corrupt FM on their dial. Philip Semlin, time out. Rarely does a half-hour TV show successfully stretch itself to a 90-minute film. It's a nice surprise, then, that the popular BBC mockumentary works as a feature. Simeon Hans, The Observer. They have a slightly bigger adventure than usual, but remain lovable idiots. Cue a steady flow of simple but endearing jokes. Edward Porter, The Times. This week we watched People Just Do Nothing Big in Japan. Hello and welcome to BritCon Goes to the Movies, the podcast where we examine the journeys of small screen British comedy programmes, sketches and talent to the big screen, one movie at a time. He's getting a lot of mums down the Green Dragon checking him out because he's been on the telly and they think he's got bear money, but he ain't. It's Guy Walker. <laughs> Thank you. And here's a man who thinks nothing screams class like a lasagna. It's Rob Heath. <laughs> Thank you, Guy. <laughs> yes, those, those are quotes from People Just Do Nothing. And I'm really happy to say we have our third guest of the series on uh, to discuss the show and the film People Just Do Nothing Big in Japan. It's presenter of W-rated podcast, Daisy Edwards. Hi, Daisy. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. I'm very excited to talk about this show slash film. Thank you for coming. We're big fans of your podcast. In, in your show, oh. you and your you and your co-host, Claire, discuss some of the worst rated films ever made. So mm-hmm. how does it feel to have like a little bit of respite to talk about a film and a TV show that you actually like? This is it. This is what we say every time Claire and I either guest separately or guest together on another podcast. It's an it's just such a joy. <laughs> we love doing what we do, but um, as we pre- as we just discussed just before we started recording, there is a lot of work that goes into podcasts. And if they're films that essentially the point of them is they're not very good, <laughs> it can uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of energy that gets drained. I actually feel like I've lost a few IQ points since we started. <laughs> started the uh, the podcast and when someone says to me you haven't seen vertigo but you've seen the human centipede centipede two twice um it really does put into perspective um, how i'm spending my time <laughs> dedication i, I uh, we we feel your pain because we've had some absolute stinkers uh, not least the last one we recorded nuns on the run which we were both expecting to quite enjoy mm. and it was it was shockingly bad wasn't it guy it was yeah, it was awful, and uh, I, yeah, I told someone recently that about the podcast and doing nuns on the run. They went, "Oh yeah, it's a great movie, isn't it?" And I had to be like, oh, "Well, don't listen to the podcast then, because <laughs> it's not." I was just going to say, have you come across many Britcoms as part of the hundred worst? IMDb's? I don't think off the top of my head. I think because of the way that the list works, it's um they're actually not the, the very worst it's they have to have over 10,000 votes so I think mm. what we end up finding is it's the worst of the most seen really um I'll have to have a double check on the list in terms of if, if anything of this of even if it's not a direct thing but maybe of the ilk but they are heavily American heavily heavily American right. <laughs> films um I suppose that they had a lot of a. Uh, a lot of say uh, with their big population. However, one thing I will shout out, which is quintessentially British, is Spice World, which uh, is a big moment from my childhood. 
Um, but as I say, I mean, I'm just looking through the list now as I've got my little uh, scheduling uh, Google Sheets open. And uh, no, it's, it's a hell of a lot of, um, of US-based uh, terror. <laughs> I think if Americans had had the chance to see uh, lesbian vampire killers as much as the Brits had, it would, it would definitely be on your list. Cause, well, uh, this is it. That's seriously one of the worst films I've ever seen. I remember watching the trailer for that. I think I was in sick form at the time. I think we maybe have looked at it for media studies. And I was like, that's one too many times I've seen just the trailer. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully today we'll we'll all be talking about a film that we've enjoyed a lot more than those two movies for sure. Uh, I'm going to start by uh, kicking us off with some stats about people just do nothing big in Japan. It was released on the 18th of August 2021, so it's our most recent film yet. It was originally to be released a year before that, but was put back twice because of COVID. Uh, It was produced by Focus Films, BBC Films and Rough Cut Films, and it was distributed in the UK by Universal. Total UK gross of £2.3 million, which doesn't sound like very much, a global gross of $3.2 million. It took 897000 in its first week in the UK, so it it burned quite brightly quite quickly and then pissed off quite quickly. Uh, mm. debuted at number three in the box office charts behind Free Guy and the Paw Patrol movie, <laughs> both of which I've seen for different reasons. I've seen Free Guy, but not the Paw Patrol movie. So Does Paw Patrol count as a Brit comp? No, it's not British. <laughs> no, it's probably, You're, well, you've got unscathed there, unscathed. Uh, so, yeah, it spent three weeks in the UK box office top ten anyway. Uh, did people just do nothing? A budget of, don't know. I don't know what the budget was, uh, and I spent quite a, a, a long time looking for it. But given that its UK gross was only 2.3 million, I mean, I've got a feeling it didn't make any money. May just have mm. broken even, but what am I basing that on? Ba- ba- basing that on the fact that they did some a load of shoots in Japan. Uh, directed by Jack Clough, who did uh, most of the series, that this was his first film, written by the stars, Asim Chowdhury, Lily Brazier, Alan Mustafa. Has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 82%, which comfortably makes it the best Rotten Tomatoes reviewed film we've done so far. An audience Rotten Tomatoes score of 87. And an IMDb of 6.8. Every IMDb. Every, everyone seems to have an IMDb rating of about 6, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think Lesbian Vampire Killers, maybe 5.1 or something, but... We've not broken seven yet. One day. <laughs> Guy, you've been looking into the Britcom connections and credentials of People Just Do Nothing Big in Japan. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is like when you look at the main cast, they've probably not done a right lot other than People Just Do Nothing. That's the thing is like the the other work's quite limited. So Alan Mustafa, who plays MC Grinder, a.k.a. Tony Zagrofoth, uh, he's also uh, one of the writers. He did a show called Peacock, where he played a personal trainer having a midlife crisis that Steve Stamp wrote along with Ben Murray, who also has uh, worked on the show. Has he, either of you seen Peacock? No. Can't, can't place that, actually. It came up a lot in my um, in my research, but yeah, no, I still haven't seen it. I've, I've seen another one of his shows, which I think you're probably going to mention. Yeah, so yeah, Peacock was quite good. They did about three episodes. I think they're going to do a bit more. And it was like him having this midlife crisis as like a younger, fitter personal trainer comes to the gym and it's him sort of having this 
kind of typical, I guess, for the show and, you know, whatnot is the fact that he sort of starts losing it. Uh, yeah, it's quite good. Uh, the Curse, which I think is the one you might have been alluding to, Rob, about the gold robber in the 1980s. This was joining the forces of the creative teams of People Just Do Nothing and King Gary, which was actor Tom Davis and director James DeFrond. Uh, you, obviously, Rob's seen The Curse. Have you seen it, Daisy? I have. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched it. We saw, me and my partner saw it advertised, and we were like, oh, great. Those guys, we should watch it. We watched one episode. He dipped after the first one, <laughs> I think. I don't even know who made it through the one. I did complete it, and I have to say, I mean, slight spoiler for whoever I like the show. I think you can assume that I like people just do nothing. It just did not reach anywhere near those heights but i think they were trying to go for something else which is mm. fair enough fair enough i i quite enjoyed it and a lot of the best stuff is tom davis um and uh also the guy who and i've already forgotten his name the guy that's in mike bassett england manager who plays the cop he's, he's oh yeah as well um but yeah it had the misfortune of coming out at the same time as the gold which was about the same thing mm. but wasn't a comedy obviously um but that was written by neil forsyth who uh has done a lot of stuff that i like and yeah that was a, a much better example of something very similar yeah i watched the first series but i've not watched the second series so i need to try and get onto that at some point and he also did a netflix film called love wedding repeat which I watched half of during lockdown and then gave up on. <laughs> so, Great. Bringing endorsement. <laughs> yeah, that, put, that, put that on the poster. Yeah, when you can't even finish something, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's enough of a review, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Watched half of it, then gave up, raves Guy Walker. <laughs> <laughs> Hugo Chegwin, who plays Beats, a.k.a. Kevin Bates, was in a show called Sneakerhead on Dave which is a sitcom set in a sports depot depot about a fictional sports shop in Peterborough following the antics of Russell, a confirmed sneakerhead and his long suffering employees, which I've not seen. I've never even heard of that. That one I had seen advertised, but um, Mm. I I don't want to typecast, but it gives me the vibe that he's going for something very similar, potentially just in sort of like comedic beats. Oh, well, sorry, that was completely <laughs> unintended pun. Um, <laughs> to beat, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's still, I mean, with Dave, I don't know if there's a streaming service that would be on, maybe Sky or something. Might be mm. worth checking out. Is it just the one series that's out? And maybe yeah, just one new? series. And mm. the reviews weren't great. And mm. yeah, the IMDb write-up wasn't particularly favourable. So... <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. Um, The Curse as well, which he's obviously in. I think he's one of the writers of that. Steve Stamp, who plays Steve's, he's one of the writers. He's also in The Curse. Top Boy is an episode of Top Boy. Oh, okay. Um, It was an episode of The Reluctant Landlord by Ramesh Ranganathan. Ah, okay. He co-wrote Peacock with Ben Murray. Okay. Uh, Probably our... I guess most popular or guy who's been in probably the most stuff is Asim Chowdhury, who plays Chibody G. He was in Click and Collect with Stephen Merchant, a Christmas one-off from mm. a few years ago, that which I thought was quite good. It was, yeah. It's reasonably enjoyable. A bit of kind of jingle all the way slash planes, trains, <laughs> automobiles. Oh my yeah. God, say no more. <laughs> I'm going to watch that now. Definitely watch it. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's, I think it's worth a watch. It's uh, not perfect, but it's them two in a car, 
chatting shit. So what can you? It's all I need. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We've got he's an episode of Black Mirror, an episode of uh, Inside Number Nine. Uh, his film work includes things like Barbie, mm. Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. His episode of Black Mirror is Bandersnatch, isn't it? It's yeah. the, uh, oh. the choose your own adventure Black Mirror. I was going to ask, couldn't couldn't place where he was. Mm. Um, I really like that. I'm a sucker for a gimmick, so yeah. <laughs> I feel like I got a, like a bit of a negative press when that episode came out. I didn't. Yeah, I, it, it was. I would say it's like a fair to middling episode. You know, when you consider how good some episodes of Black Mirror are, it was somewhere in the middle for me. Maybe mm. I'd, I, I. You can't help but think the whole time you're watching it that am I watching this the the best way? Right. It was also in the Barbie film, Wonder Woman 1984, and Steve Coogan's Michael Winterbottom film Greed. Mm. Uh, Lily Brazier, who plays Mish, she was in four episodes of King Gary, a show called Wannabe, um, about a former pop star. That is brilliant. I yeah. really, really, really enjoyed <laughs> Wannabe. She, and she's really funny in it. Oh, cool. And, yeah, and she's really that. funny as a, as a kind of faded uh, girl, girl band, ex-girl band member who is trying to start and publicise her own brand new girl band. Right. Yeah. Based on her character in this, that feels very like a space mm. you could do very well in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah, she's good. It's good. After catch that. Uh she did a film called Juliet Naked, which I thought was good with Chris O'Dowd, Roseburn, and Ethan Hawke, where she was Roseburn's sister. Which was uh yeah, quite a good film from a couple of years ago. Jacob Clough, the director, did a show called Beaver Falls about uh three British students. <laughs> Sorry, God, have you seen it? But yeah, I, I, it's a big bone of contention for me, Beaver Falls, because it it could it could have been so much better. It's like three, it's three English guys basically going to do Camp America, and it feels really are, familiar. Yeah, I've not uh, seen it. The concept is really appealing, and then it's just no. it's not it's not shot in America for a start. It's shot in South <laughs> Africa, and obviously so. And it's got quite a lot of non-Americans doing American accents as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's, it doesn't sound uh, pretty rubbish. Uh, he directed the two series of Skins, neither of the good ones. The... <laughs> <laughs> he did an ASDA TV ad in two thousand and one, and a show this year called Henpocalypse, which I have seen. Either you oh, seen Henpocalypse? Nice. Uh, it takes five women who are headed out on a weekend of a lifetime to celebrate Zara's engagement, only to be interrupted by the end of the world. They have to work <laughs> out in an isolated holiday cottage in Wales. So it's on the iPlayer, so it was quite good. I watched it earlier this okay. year. Is it like, um, what's the episode of Black Books with Franz Hen Party? Is it like that? Yeah, it's like that. Okay. Yeah, basically it's, it's like that, but not yeah, as good as like that. Like yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's worth what? I'd say it's worth a watch. It's, it's got Lauren O'Rourke in it, who was in the uh, Drifters and yes. the uh, in, Inbetweeners movie. Um, yeah, and those are our Britcom connections. So, Rob. Okay, people just do nothing. Let's have a little potted history of a bit of a phenomenon in recent British comedy. Uh, people just do nothing started with Hugo Chegwin, who plays DJ Beats, and Steve Stamp, who plays DJ Steves. They met growing up together on the Haverfield estate in Brentford, where the show is set. Uh, Chegwin met Essen Chowdhury, who plays Chibadi G. 
at college and the group met Alan Mustafa, MC Grinder, a few years later. All four had experience in some way, shape or form of being involved in pirate radio. Uh, Mustafa used to rap a bit, but he said he actually spent more time getting high and watching The Office. The watching The Office part is telling, I would say. Mm, mm-hmm. mm, definitely. For sure. Uh, yeah. uh, Ch- Chegwin and Stamp used to set, uh, set up a fake garage crew called Corrupt FM, and Mustafa would film some bits and pieces of the three of them for that purpose. Uh, they then decided to create a YouTube channel, uh, which uh, Chowdhury named Wasteman TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and they would film these shorts of Corrupt FM, uh, which they said were partly inspired by the 2004 BBC Three documentary Tower Block Dreams. Did you ever see that? No, no. I've heard them talk about it on a podcast before, though. So, so yeah. Yeah, I think there's this. I I think I might have seen an episode of this at the time, and this kind of feels. Obviously, the show is heavily influenced by this. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, so those those little inserts were, were mostly filmed and edited by Asim Chowdhury. Uh, Wasteman TV shorts were seen by John Petrie, a producer at Rough Cut Productions, which was the production company of Asha Tala, who's produced some of the most successful comedy of the noughties, most notably The Office, The IT Crowd. Uh, but he also worked on uh, both series of Look Around You, one of our favourites, Guy. Yeah. Uh, Petrie waxed lyrical to Atala about these shorts and the pair were commissioned by BBC Three to make the pilot. Uh, that pilot was the most shared video on BBC iPlayer in August 2012, and so the first series was commissioned. Uh, the series followed MC Grinder and his best friend DJ Beats with the power dynamic very much in the favour of the former, <laughs> <laughs> as the pair looked to conquer the world and go global. That's what they always talk about, isn't it, going global? Uh, <laughs> Corrupt FM is bankrolled by crap wheeler dealer Chabuddy G and their antics are captured by a fake documentary crew for People Just Do Nothing. The show's mockumentary style is heavily, heavily influenced by The Office and they say also by This Is Spinal Tap and they also took big influences from Alan Partridge, <laughs> Ali G and the Mike Lee films. Ah. Uh, Alan Mustafa would say in a few interviews that the show was 70% improvised, which kind of corroborates, you know, that's how Mike Lee likes, likes to work, isn't it? Mm. You, you know, keep, uh, keep rehearsing and improvising until you've got a script. Yeah, 100%. As well as the Pirate Radio crew, the Mock Doc also follows Grinder's girlfriend and then later wife, Mish, played by Lily Brazier, who is also credited as a writer and, and DJ Beats partner, Roche, the bouncer turned security guard, played by stand-up Ruth Bratt. Uh, the estate used as a location uh, to represent the Haverfield estate in Brentford, where Stamp and Chegwin grew up, was Chesterton Court in South Acton uh, until it was knocked down and they later used locations in Peckham, oh. uh, none of which I recognise. I used to live quite close to Peckham, but yeah. Didn't recognise any of those locations. There must have been in the later series that I've probably not got to yet. Uh, People Just Do Nothing ran for five series on BBC iPlayer and it kind of straddled BBC Three's demotion to online only right. and then back to a broadcast network again. <laughs> um, <coughs> so it kind of outlasted that fad. And then um, series four and five were also broadcast on BBC Two and the series was a huge success on Netflix as well. The show won a BAFTA for Best Scripted Comedy in 2017, beating... 
beat some good shows flowers camping flea bag and it was nominated for the same award either side of that year losing both times the first time to peter k's car share (laughs) (laughs) i'm shaking my loudly shaking my head (laughs) and and this country respectively that one's a bit more fair enough Mm. uh asim chowdhury won uh best comedy performance at the rcs awards in 2017 as well in 2017, Corrupt FM featured on a version of Ed Sheeran's uh, What Do I Know for Comet Relief, which I think is one of the better kind of recent Comet Relief singles. And actually, that's it's one of my favourite bits of People Just Do Nothing. I, I find that song hilarious. I don't know, uh, I don't know if you've heard it. I don't. Is it in the show? We'll, we'll put a link to the show notes. No, it was, so it's for 2017 Comet Relief. Right. Yeah, um, my partner just showed me the video of it earlier, and I was like, oh, do they do still do sketches and stuff? He's like, no, it must be for Comic Relief. I just watched the bit where he, they go in and meet Edger and obviously treat him like he's the yeah. help. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen that. Yeah. It is, it is yeah. very funny. Yeah, the song itself is, is very funny as I'll well. I'll have to listen to it. Um, the most of the cast of people just do nothing tour is corrupt fm for live shows and they've also played glastonbury and reading and leeds festivals their album greatest hits part one got to number eight in the uk album charts in 2021 i saw them at reading oh, but this was before was this was before i knew who they were so um one of my colleagues always told me about the show and he well started talking about corrupt fm or he had a t-shirt or a hat or something and he was like or, I, or even I was going through the reading list and I was like, I don't know who they are. And he was like, oh my God, you've got to be joking. Tell me all about them. I was like, well, they're on in the day. I'll go see them. And I like garage music. So when I went, I loved it. But I was saying to my partner when we were watching the film, I was like, I just wish I had known who they were when I saw them because I would have enjoyed mm-hmm. it like tenfold just knowing <laughs> that it's meant to be these characters on the stage as well. Um, but no, they were, I mean, the fact that I didn't know anything about the show, I love them just as a garage act pure and simple so oh well so you kind of preempted my question there Uh, oh sorry guy you preempted my question i was going to say where you win from the ground floor but you came to it late (laughs) i I came to it late i didn't see it for years after until years after it came out what about you Mm -hmm. i was around maybe after series three i think around series three i think i think i probably read about the kind of show you need to watch or one of those sort of write-ups in like the guardian or something i thought oh yeah i'll give this a go and yeah i was sort of hooked on it from that from that moment really but garage like i've kind of reappraised garage because so growing up and still to this day i'm a massive hip-hop fan so i i always found garage to be quite when it was kind of overtaking hip-hop in the popularity stakes in the early 2000s when i was a a teenager i found it to be quite annoying and quite um <laughs> silly and i i still think it, it I, I still think it is quite silly and it lends itself really well to comedy because it's quite yeah. an inherently funny <laughs> genre of music like you know well similarly to you know spinal tap you know that that genre of rock is also yeah. silly and that's why that kind of uh works comedically mm. but I, I've reappraised Garage in the last few years, as I have with a lot of stuff that was kind of out around that time. And I actually <laughs> like a lot of it. What, what's everyone's favourite Garage track? Guy, I think you're going to struggle with this, aren't you? Yeah, because I, I had to message you early and go, are the streets Garage? 
Yeah, if if we could say the streets, I'm sure we'd probably all I think say the if streets, they've been we? mentioned, if they've been, if the song has been featured in the film, I think you can count it. <laughs> well, I was going to say let's push things forward, but I don't think that counts as garage. To be fair, it's, it's a great song though. Yeah, I, I'm going to I'm going to allow it. Go on, Daisy. Oh, okay, thanks. I am really struggling because I went to say a song, and then I was like, no, what about this one? What about this one? And I'm trying to, I think, can I do two honourable mentions? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because <laughs> um, they've got very different vibes. Flowers, sweet thing mm. that's shared. 21 seconds, <laughs> so solid crew. <laughs> because I had that, had it CD single. Like, Did yeah. If you don't, if it doesn't make you, everyone knows a, a separate bit of that song. No one knows the full thing, but everyone yeah. has their little bit that, that when it comes on, yeah, you will wrap that. Um, but I think actually it's a little bit, potentially a bit underrated um, or lesser, lesser known Artful Dodger song, but Woman Trouble, which is Craig, a, another Craig David yeah. one, but not the Craig David one that everyone goes for. Craig but David and Robbie Craig. Is it that yeah, one? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Um, yeah. But I love it. And also it's featured in Bridget Jones. So what more do you want? <laughs> when she's walking through Borough Market. So if I'm ever walking through Borough Market, I put that song up. When I used to work, well, I work close to there. It used to be my commute. So I used to think I was Bridget Jones walking through there listening to Craig David. And if that's not a snapshot of the 2000s, then I don't know what is. <laughs> I'm gonna so I'm gonna say two quite two quite serious ones, uh, but I think both of which are in the film actually. Uh, Doom's Night by Azido de Base. When that used to come on at the works in Bristol in the year 2000s, that was an absolute banger and still is. It's um, if you if you don't if you think you don't know that song, you I was do. about to say I probably just don't know it, it by the name. Sounds like the, heli- the helicopter whooshing. Oh yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's definitely in the show. Great song. <laughs> and then, uh, and the other one is uh, "Sincere" by MJ Cole, oh, which is very a very good song. But I think my favourite, and this is very silly, is uh, and it's got a big comedy connection. This song as well, guy, is "I Don't Smoke" by DJ Decline, which samples a BBC Three sketch show and a line by Marcus Brigstock. <laughs> and it's the uh, "Do you smoke, Paul?" No, I don't. I don't smoke the reefer, that one. So I first heard that I first heard that song when you used to host a pub quiz at the courthouse in Huddersfield when we were at uni, and that's the first time I remember hearing that song. So that is a blast from the past. I've I've revived revived that pub quiz twice, guy, in London and played that song twice as well. Brilliant. You just speaking about samples has made me remember Bound for the Reload, which is definitely in it's just purely for the casualty and the lock stock samples. Like if you said to someone, if you went back to like the 1950s and said there'll be a song that plays in every club and everyone's gonna love it, and it features the theme song to, to a Saturday night serial about A and E. And um, I don't even know who says it. Is it Vinnie Jones that says it in Lockstock? Yes, it is, yeah. I was just like, their, their head would explode. So I yeah. feel like we Thank just need you. to have a shout out for that one. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning Casualty, though, Daisy, because I was looking for a way. In every episode, I try and crowbar in a connection. And mm. I think I knows what I'm going to say. I've been in five episodes of Casualty. So no. <laughs> Amazing. I got, I got crushed between two cars. What, in one episode? Did I you? shouldn't laugh because it sounds horrific. Were you the same character? Because that's a hell of a lot of bad luck for one man. 
<laughs> right, let's. Uh, that is too much of a tangent. Let's uh, quickly talk about the making of the film. So in time-honoured tradition and a common theme that we'll revisit in uh, a lot of the films on our list that are direct sitcom adaptations, when work began on the film of People Just Do Nothing, the emphasis was how can we get these characters out of Brentford slash Britain? And this premise goes back as far as things like, obviously, Guy liked things like On the Buses, I'm going to mention it again, uh. and more recently we've seen it play in the Inbetweeners movie. Uh, so they get them to Japan. The series finished with Corrupt FM being shut down, and so the basis of the story of the film began with a Corrupt FM track being used on the Japanese game show to get the team to fly out to Japan in a classic kind of fish-out-of-water setup. Filming lasted six weeks in total, split between the UK and Japan, while in Tokyo, scenes were shot at iconic landmarks such as the Shibuya Crossing. Uh, filming began in November 2019 and finished in January 2020, so just missing out on any lockdowns. Oh. The actual production, or the yeah, the, the post-production was affected, but the production wasn't wasn't affected by COVID. Um, London shoots involved location filming at Brentford's Griffin Park, continuing this podcast theme for shoots at now defunct football stadiums <laughs> after, after Mike Bassett, England manager, managed both Wembley and American R in one film. Uh, the old versions of both of those stadiums. Uh, the writing team remained the same as the TV show, as did the director, Jack Clough, um, with no uh, with no new British characters, but obviously plenty of Japanese characters. Uh, Ken Yamamura was cast as Taka, the group's Japanese manager, after he'd impressed in the British-Japanese drama Jiri Haji. Anyone seen Jiri Haji? I've heard good things. No, no. Uh, and he'd also been in The Wolverine and Gareth Edwards' 2014 version of Godzilla. Um, Ayumi Ito is a TV, film and video game star in Japan, most famous for the Final Fantasy series of games and films. Uh, she was also in a Japanese rock band called Mean Machine, who had one album in yeah. 2001, which got to number seven in the Japanese charts. Cool. Uh, this is the first film to feature on our show that was affected hugely by COVID. Um, it was due to be released, as I've already said, in August 2020. Then the release date was put back twice, first to February 2021 and then to August 2021. Um, so... That was kind of troubling for, and then obviously kind of coming back out when people were unsure about whether they want to be going back to the cinema. That's maybe it would have done better at the box office had it not been so adversely affected by COVID. I guess we'll never know that. Um, you guys, had you both seen this film before? Yeah, so I saw it on um, on Blu-ray. I think I got it for Christmas. But I want, I did want to go and see it at the, the cinema, but none of my friends were fans of the show, so they didn't really want to go and see it. So Aww. I thought, oh, I know, yeah. I know. It would have been you nice to have gone and seen that. Introduce but. yourself to going to the cinema on your own, guys. It's the best thing in the world. I've done so it a much, few times. So much better than going with other people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> done it a few times, but um, but yeah, maybe I probably should have done it, really, because it would have been nice to see it on the on the big screen. But yeah, what about you guys? Yeah, I'd seen it before, but I missed it in the cinema. Um, yeah, my partner and I had seen it advertised. And I think that's what spurred on the conversation of, oh, have you seen that? And I was like, no, but I've seen them live. And then, you know, we watched it, but I think we'd missed it by then. And so I probably spent the period between August towards the end of the year 
catching up on all the show because I know that in the, within the new year, by the time that that rolled around, I we'd, we'd, it was ready to rent. So mm. it was quite good timing, actually. But yeah, it would, I always prefer seeing stuff in the cinema, always, just because of multitude of technicalities, but mostly just to have the escapism. But with things like this, I don't think there was too much lost compared to a different kind of cinematic film. Mm. Um, maybe, the, maybe the music, maybe the baseline. <laughs> that's the only thing all this around would have uh, yeah. locked the room <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so I was going to say you haven't heard Doom's Night by Azido de Bass until you've heard it in Dolby Surround Sound <laughs> had <This is> <laughs> uh, you seen it Rob or was this the first time you watched it I've not seen it as I say I came to this show very late I, I think the first time I'd seen any people just do nothing was the 2017 comic relief uh, and that made me kind of go back and, and watch the first and second season. And for whatever reason, I never continued. And I have stupidly gone back and done the same thing again oh, no. in the search for this. First and second. This time I've managed the third as well. But uh, I will be beyond this watching watching four and five as well. I think it's a rare, rare one that does get better. Mm, you know, yes. there's always a drop off with these things. Uh, when I did some rewatching for this recording, I decided to go with the best rated episode per season. And uh, I noticed on IMDb that it was so like l- loaded with the, with the best scores towards the end. So I feel like they probably just really found their footing after a while, which is just a nice, I just don't think it happens very often. Usually overstays its welcome a little bit. Yeah, everything usually starts off on the first couple of series, and by the third series, like we found the in between, is it sort of peaked and you mm. sort of seem like the death knell of it. Whereas this seems to just keep. Because I started when I started rewatching for this, I uh, I watched the episode where Grinder goes to court because I, was yeah, I watched, I watched that one the other day. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, and then, That's I, and then it's worst, isn't it? That is that character being the most horrible. Which is great because I, I I think I'll get onto this later on. Is I love it when he's when he starts to be vulnerable and his masculinity is questioned. So he starts off being like, "Oh yeah, I don't care," you know, going to court, and they go, "Yeah, well, you could go to prison," you know. And he's like, "What?" It's <laughs> that sort of realization that he isn't the big man. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to. I think it's the last episode of series two with the opening of the club. Oh, it's so good. It's also quite sweet as well, isn't it? Because everything, you think it's going to be a disaster and it's actually mm. pretty good. Is that the episode, sorry, is that the episode where they're doing the opening of the club and Chibody G's all in white and they smash the bottle of red wine? Yeah. <laughs> that is such yeah. a good moment, is that? Oh, yeah, that's good. That's a good one. That's one of the ones I rewatched. I think it's about time we got into the film, isn't it, Guy? Yeah, let's do it. After this. What are we out here for? What does it look like we're out here for? Do you know what I'm saying? We're out here to get a record deal. Look yeah. at us. Look at that. <laughs> we're out here to take over Japan, repair their music yeah. scene, and show them what Corrupt FM's about, like, do you know exactly. what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Never do that shit. I'll give a one. <laughs> they don't know what they're in for. Nah, do you know what I mean? Lucky bastards. Isn't it? 15 years later, yeah. we're here, mate. Madness. Trust me. Corrupt FM, the rebirth, yeah. like. We open with drone shots of London at Magic Hour and we have some shots from the first series of the crew doing a pirate radio set. We cut to MC Grinder and DJ Beats, the founders of Corrupt FM, on top of a high-rise being interviewed. They tell us that Corrupt FM was the biggest pirate radio station in Brentford. 
Well, it was the only one in Brentford. And Beats tells us what made Corrupt FM different was they always played the same songs. Not many <laughs> DJs do that, and that's a confidence thing. <laughs> so that, those shots start with a track called uh, Deep Inside by Hard Drive. <sighs> Very good. Which they play a lot in the series as yeah. well, don't they? Oh, really? Is that is that a peak gar- garage song? Is our garage aficionados? I think it's a, it's a, a slightly later than the kind of peak garage time, though. That's, I think that song's from a few years later, right? What it sort of be. era is it? I think I think that's that's from like oh six oh seven. Oh, really? So, oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I, yeah. That makes sense of why I'm into it then, because I would have been about 10. <laughs> oh, God, you just made us feel very old. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so anything that I know means it was popular enough to have, you know, transcended, because I weren't allowed at the clubs. <laughs> <laughs> something something else they say in, in this opening bit is that music, uh, music got shit after 2005. Which yeah. Is I was wondering. Yeah. Well, I agree with that pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they tell us the golden era of music was what oh one to oh four was the uh, that's right was the yeah. line. I mean, I don't agree yeah. with that. Uh, I'd say ten years <laughs> earlier than that, but I would say that music music definitely started falling off a cliff after then. <laughs> but I would say that we have a title card that says after 15 years Corrupt FM has made its final transmission three years later in Brentford the group's manager Chibody G is living in his van which still has the advertising of his last business venture Complete Tech Heads which was a joke <laughs> I always enjoyed in the series <laughs> he hasn't chosen to live in a van it's what happens when life deals you a set of jokers he has got plenty of shirts, though, and he has been on the phone to a record company in Japan, and their music has been used on a TV show over there. This is their second chance at fame. We cut to Chibody driving to Pitsy in Essex, and we find Grinder, the former MC of Corrupt FM, is now a postman, and he asks them not to film it. Chibody tells him that they're going to get a record deal in Japan. Grinder quits his job on the, on the spot. Fuck the system, he says, and empties his mailbag on the floor. Turns out your buddy G is only 80% sure, so he better not quit the day, the day job just yet, Grinder. Japan, it turns out, has gone crazy for the heart monitor track, which I think is a, is a oh, good yeah. track. And it's, it's, <laughs> and it's, it's great. When we've talked about oxide neutrinos bound for the reload. That's yeah. got to be a reference to that. Oh, it must it? be. Yeah, 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 for sure. I'm just going to agree because I probably won't know even know. <laughs> That's the, It's the casualty one, guy. Oh, right. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I was just going to nod along and go, yeah, but it was. <laughs> so now we have Beats working in a bowling alley. Grinder and Chibody G turn up and surprise him. Beats' son Craig is now his boss and tells him to get back to work. I do like that as a touch. That I love it. And actually, one of my favorite things about the show is the relationship between Beats and Craig. Mm-hmm. I yeah. just find that one of my favorite lines for I think this is from the first series, actually, when he. When uh, Roche says he doesn't need babysitting, he's eighteen stone. <laughs> <laughs> the episode where they go fishing is really is is really yeah. funny. Yeah, it's just was... so sincere, isn't it? Like yeah. the love that Beats feels for him. Yeah, and he says stuff that's so like so lacking in self awareness. Like in the film, the way he talks to him, and like he's his boss now, and he's like, "He's my son," and he's just like, "No, you're not. No, you're not." <laughs> The content so he has is just great. And there yeah. was one there was one I watched in series 
I think it was series three where they're painting the do Chibody's doing the mural for the baby on the wall for the the baby that's about to be born, and Chibody goes into uh, Craig's bedroom and has like a a chat to him and go, you know, you're worried about this new baby coming. And then he just like leaves the room and turns the light off. He's like, turn the light back on. (laughs) (laughs) So it turns out Beats already knows about how big they are in Japan. At Grinder's flat, he's packing for the trip by rolling his clothes into a ball and throwing him into a bag, which I thought was really funny, the way he's just sort of scrambling these clothes and throwing them in. Uh, the record label don't normally fly the manager of the group out, so Japodi has had to sell his van to four different people. Uh, whoever gets there first can have it. <laughs> uh, it turns out it's not a Mercedes after all. We see a, a bit where the logo <laughs> slipped. The mer- it's a Renault. I'll bring a man in the muck. It's ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Then we have Steve's putting drugs into condoms. Oh, my God. He's got uppers, downers, ones to help you sleep. These ones wake you up. These are good for anxiety, which is pretty good because all of these create anxiety. (laughs) 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 And then, um, yeah, he's going to... Then he's going to put the drug-filled condoms up his ass, then they're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> and he also tells us that, you know, Japan's got a massive drugs problem. You can't get any over there. <laughs> <laughs> so he's he's worried about, you know, the dry, the dry spell. Grinder, his wife, Mish, and daughter, Angel, arrive at the airport. Jibodi has turned his hair into a Bobby Charlton-style comb-over. <laughs> I particularly enjoyed can I can I be transport location nerd again as always? It's always Gatwick. Uh, 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 Gatwick is. More... I did wonder if it was Gatwick because we, it's really close to us, and I was like this, looking at the signs, but I wasn't sure. But I think it must just be a mean, much more amenable to filming there because in between is that the airport scenes that in between is is Gatwick, and they filmed like half a series of Taskmaster at Gatwick. Oh, so I don't. Yeah, it, the. It must just be a lot more kind of amenable to, to film crews. Uh, so it turns out that there isn't a ticket for Mish and Angel, so they ditch them at the airport and leave at the passport checkpoint. Chipotle puts on some glasses, and now we know why he's got this ridiculous hair. So he tells us that he came to this country in 95 with nothing but five pounds and his brother's, I mean, my passport. <laughs> that was a good joke. The face after. The face yeah. after. <laughs> Looking around like really scared. <laughs> It's the way he has to wait at the at the at the checkpoint, isn't it? And he's, the guy's just got yeah. it like that, and he's just trying to like. <laughs> you could practically see the beads of sweat on his forehead. It's really good, yeah. And then the boys get on the plane, and they've got duty free Toblerone. <laughs> and they have this bit where they go to buy the Toblerone, don't they? Going, oh yeah. <laughs> it's like what kids do. It's like genuinely half the stuff that this happens in this show is how kids would act on the playground, <laughs> except they're fully grown men. Yeah, <laughs> they're like nearly 40, aren't they? Yeah. Like mid-30s running around. Chibody appears out of the toilet in a string vest, looking really sweaty and panting. Steve looks like he's going cold turkey and wants to get off the plane. And then Chibody tells the quiet member of the group, Decoy, that he's only gone and done it. He's joined the Mile High Club. And then he tries to get Decoy to feel his heart beating. <laughs> I feel really bad for Decoy because he puts up with so much shit. <laughs> he is, and I think we'll probably talk about this later. But like, he's the only kind of the only character with any kind of self awareness in the entire yeah, yeah, series, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. he? He's the one bit of kind of grounding. 
Yeah. With the red. And he that, doesn't say anything. Yeah. 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 He's a quiet member. It's yeah. just, he just looks like. Let's it happen. Yeah. You wonder what he's doing hanging around with these idiots, don't you? You know. Yeah. So Decoy declines to feel Chipotle's heart beating through his string vest. But he asked him if he's actually gone and fucked someone. And he was like, no, on my own. Just had a wank in it. <laughs> Brilliant, brilliantly awful brilliantly awful <laughs> um, Mish turns up unannounced at Beats' flat he meets his partner Roche who answers the door Mish has told all her followers online that she was going to Japan but now she isn't but it's okay because she's got a plan she invites herself in and asks if she's got any chopsticks back on the plane and Steve's is tripping balls and wants to speak to the pilot <laughs> and then we have this sort of chaotic scene don't we where he's got like a life jacket on and he's like falling over people and that just set my anxiety off, did that? Yeah, yeah it made me feel really claustrophobic. Yeah. You know what, that, that scene reminded me of uh, the scene in Austin Powers when he comes out of the uh, the deep freeze and he's really disoriented <laughs> and he's just kind of like walking around. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just always falling over people and there's obviously like other passengers there and this madness going on, it was just, oh. They were very calm, considering, because... <laughs> If that had happened on my plane, I would have been freaking out. Because it's the middle of the night as well, so everyone's like yeah. asleep, and he's like, yeah, it'd be awful with that. Misha set the lounge up to look Japanese and is taking photos of her and Angel for Instagram. Roche leaves them to it and wishes them a lovely evening. And he's like, <laughs> thank you. Or as they say in Japan, thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's a good line. I do love Roche because, again, what we've just said, the point about um decoy i think she is it on the other side of you don't tend to get them mixing so you do need a bit of a straight man in these scenes because mish consistently gets more delusional throughout the whole series i think um so i do love their dynamic because oh my god does she come out with some (laughs) yeah she does and i think that's what i like about like probably get into it later but like mish it's good to see like a female character who is delusional in that way who isn't the grounded one Telling yeah, she's the allowed man to have off. fun. Yeah, she can be as yeah. daft as the, the, yeah. the boys can. Uh, so Steve's has now fallen asleep and Beats and Grinder watch Fast and Furious at the same time, <laughs> which was a nice bit. I've done yeah. that before. I've done that before with a, with a friend of mine on the way to a, a job in America. Aww. So they make it to Japan and the hotel. We get some lovely views of, uh, of Japan. And the boys tell us that, that they're there to take over Japan and repair the music scene. Also trying the local cuisine until they decide to ditch it and make their way to the Golden Arches and get a McDonald's. I know people like that. And they infuriated me. Whenever we'd go out, we'd go out for a weekend somewhere else in the UK and we'd go to Nando's or McDonald's and we'd go to the club that was owned by the same people. And it was a, I used to work at a club that was owned by the same people. So not only was it the Oceana Prism, whatever you want to call it, of the local town, mm. but it was exactly the same format of the nightclub that I also worked in as well. It was honestly like a fever dream going to all these different places and it just experiencing the same thing. Oh, <laughs> but you had oh. people like that. Yeah, you can leave the country and then you still have the exact same existence wherever you go. Literally. I do love that scene when they're talking about the brown egg, though. Like, that's... Uh, <laughs> I've, done, I've done a bit of work in, in Japan and in China and every time, you know, always with English and, and Western people and everyone always... That's always a big sticking point for, <laughs> for, for the English palate. Oh, a, a, an egg boiled in the stock that they cook it in. Oh. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, so the following day they go to Delphonica Records where they meet the top people at the label. They take their shoes off when entering the meeting room. <laughs> but much to their surprise, the hosts say they don't need to do it. And that's where we meet Taka, who's the A&R manager, and he introduces himself and how excited he is for them to be there. Just to mention Doom's Night one more time, that is the, <laughs> the beginning of that scene is where they, is where oh, they play. Oh, right. Yeah. There you go. So we're introduced to a lady called Mickey, who's going to be their translator and fixer. Chipotle G introduces himself, uh, much to the surprise of Taka, who wasn't expecting him. Beats and Grinder perform some impromptu ragga rap for their host. It was brilliant. Yeah. Just brilliant. It was great, was that? Because they look utterly perplexed <laughs> to the people from the label. Yeah, they look scared by it, don't they? Yeah. You can tell the guys are really tapping into their previous experience of growing up doing pirate radio and like loving garage and like where it comes from and the culture and everything like that because they just absolutely aced it. The scene of yeah. them going up in the in the lift is really well shot. There's there's not many. I mean, there's quite a lot of bits where they just let the kind of locations do do the talking, and you know, and you you put you point any camera from any angle at the Shibuya crossing, and it's going to look cinematic, right? But, mm. Or you know, Godzilla Street in Shinjuku. But that, actually, that the way they set up that shot for the um, for the lift going up is uh, that that's one of the best directorial flourishes i would say in this film i do like the pieces to camera that they shoot i mm. think they make those look really nice and there's yeah. some kind of, like quite really kind of wide shots that really kind of show these nice vistas and they make it look quite cinematic i think well, and what's good about that is they they choose japanese locations that are like the kind of japanese version of the locations mm. that they do in brentford for the, the stairs uh, yeah. they were yeah. sit on the stairs don't they yeah. in the street yeah so the the boys track is being used on a Japanese game show and when contestants fall off an obstacle course, everyone dances to it. It's like when you hear a, a drum and bass track on an advert and that drum and bass tune wasn't made for the new Fiat Punto. It was made for 10 white boys <laughs> with dreadlocks in a squat rack, says Beats, <laughs> which is one of my favourite lines from the film. The Brilliant. TV show is massive in Japan, which means that everyone knows their track. Steve gets up to go to the toilet. Mickey shows him where it is and then he gets sprayed by the toilet and he looks like he's pissed himself because it's one of those Japanese special toilets that they have over there. Taka has planned TV and radio appearances for the group before a concert to introduce them to their Japanese fans. Jabuddy tries repeating this to make it look like it's his plan, and Taka tells the other people in Japanese that he didn't even know that Jabuddy was coming, but he'll sort it later. He asks them what new music they've got, and the boys have got two or even three tracks at least, max. Chipotle <laughs> G throws his case on the table and tells them it's time to get down to business. They want 10,000 yen each, <laughs> which turns out to be 70 quid. Right. I was going to say, it definitely wasn't a lot. That joke's been done so many times before, but it's it's always funny. Saying, yeah. saying that someone looks a million lira is funny. You know, it's just, <laughs> yeah, exchange rate jokes. I'm here for it. Yeah. Taka asks if the producers of the TV show have been in touch regarding royalties, but Chibody has had to delete his email address because he's being blackmailed. They reckon they've got footage of him wanking over a webcam and they're going to upload it to the internet. The others tell him it's a scam. <laughs> so we have a title that says we've got one week to the concert. They go to a nightclub and get the VIP treatment. The boys are shocked when they find a Japanese pop star with uh, with dyed ginger hair. Grinder tells him in England that's a sign of a weaker person, <laughs> which was some nice anti ginger <laughs> content. Oh man! 
They get champagne, but Chibody G has been sidelined. He feels threatened by attacker. Mickey gives Steve some weed on the quiet, and then the, the club plays the boys' track. Chibody gets kicked out for stealing a bottle of vodka from another table. It's now six days until the concert, and they're like, man's going to the studio. You know what I'm saying? I do love it when they're going, go in studio. And it just keeps studio. 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 <laughs> studio. studio. We're going studio. It's like, it's like part radio. Like, like say it, like the, the syllables are all mixed up. It's really weird. <laughs> love it. Yeah. We're, we're seeing the beginnings of the Mickey and Steve's relationship, which is, uh, spoiler, one of my favourite things about this film. It's cute. really sweet. And the more I you can get like Steve's in, a, in, a, in an episode, I would say the better. <laughs> and yeah, just generally, uh, most of my favourite bits in the show are, are him or his, his nan. And his nan, and, yeah, yeah, I was about to say. Yeah. Um, so they tend to go to the studio every couple of years. Their two tracks have lasted them about 15 years, I say. <laughs> and then they have a line about the Beatles not being as good because they keep reinventing themselves, which... I felt it was a bit sitcommy, but I don't know. Maybe that's me being picky. I, I, felt, I thought that was really funny. I really, I did like it too. It felt like a jokey joke and yeah, I don't know. I just think if you think about it from them being so self-centered and not understanding the gravitas of things outside of Garage, I just think it works really, even if it was a joke that people could make, I feel like it sits so well with them and who they are right. as characters. Um, they get to the studio and want to again want to take their shoes off, but Mickey says they don't have to. Uh, it turns out they're at a dance studio and they won't be laying down any beats today, but they don't want to do any dancing. Taka takes Grinder to one side and tells them that dancing will make them huge in Japan. He shows him a picture of the stage they'll be performing at. Mickey sneaks Steve some weed. He tells her that she's his favorite person in Japan ever, which is really nice. <laughs> Grinder comes back into the room and tell the others that they're going to give it a go. Decoy and Beats just want to be a DJ at the back, but that isn't going to wash. Dancing is what they like out there, and if they don't want to do it, then basically you're being racist, Grinder tells them. So they decide against being racist and do the dancing. Beats is wearing his jeans, so you have to take them off to do his dancing, so he's just in his boxers. And Chibody has been left at the hotel with nothing to do. He thinks that Taka is trying to push him out. So Grinder and Beats are now practicing their dance moves in the hotel when there's a knock at the door. And it's Mish! Roche has <laughs> given her the money to buy a ticket. Or she go completely insane. <laughs> Which, yeah, I think you would, wouldn't you? I uh, I like what they're doing with the Taka character here because he's he's very very quietly being an arsehole in a, in, mm. a, a, in a not obvious way, which is yeah. like, it's quite reminiscent of uh, Rob Lowe in Wayne's World. Mm. Right, that's, that's, yeah, why, yeah. that's why I think he's doing. Um, also, as Mish arrives, they play another classic garage tune. I, I wrote down the names of all the garage songs that I liked in this film. So the, the next track I'm going to mention is Neighbourhood by Zed Bias, which is an absolute classic. I feel good, good, good. Oh, feel there good, you go. Good, this good, is good. it. As soon as you give me too fast. And that is when Mish arrives, and it's a uh, yeah, great tune. Excellent. Yeah, so... Um... Beats is going to have to move rooms. Mish speaks to the camera and says, it's important to support your partner, even if they don't want you to be there. <laughs> so Beats goes to join Decoy, Chibode and Steve's, and Chibode gives up his bed for Beats, and it looks fucking awful, does that bed? That room has just been destroyed, basically. 
I love the the line that me says, I'd love another baby, but until then I've got him talking about grinding. <laughs> <laughs> right. How how many women do you reckon have said that about their partners over the year? Too many. Yeah. <laughs> so it's four days to the concert and we got um a promo shoot. This is a funny scene. This photo shoot is is funny. Yeah. Yeah. So it's at this shrine and the boys have been dressing like a gold black golden black sergeant pepper style uniforms mm-hmm. they've got like the hair spiked up steve's looks really funny he's got like eyeliner on and he's it gives me uh my chemical romance black parade vibes especially with the eyeliner and the spiked up hair yes yeah definitely <laughs> i hadn't thought of that one to be honest but yeah see that that's the song that always makes me think of university <laughs> what, the Black Parade? Yeah, my housemate yeah. used to play that a lot. I literally played the album the other day because <laughs> it's one of my top five ever. So, Not heard that in years. Right, we'll move on. <laughs> All this non-garage chat is uh, going over Rob's head. We're going to talk about garage again. I never, knew, yeah. I, never, I never knew I loved it so much. <laughs> <laughs> You're a garage head. <laughs> I have to say, on, on the subject of Garage, if you've never seen the... I should have sent this out to both of you before we started this. If you've never seen the uh, sketch UK Garage Horse Racing, is one of the funniest... <laughs> I just have um, a garage, quick Garage uh, anecdote. I just remembered that I went out for my birthday in 2016 and I went to the Queen of Hoxton and DJ Luck and MC Neat were playing. But they played their one song over and over and over again. But I did get a shout out for my birthday whilst they played one of the iterations of the Brilliant. song. They did. They did a version of Stevie Wonder's Master Blaster guy. If you can imagine such a what? diabolical thing, God, <laughs> a crime against humanity, isn't it? Sure, one of my brother's mates used to go out with either DJ Luck or MC Me. So Mickey says hi to Steve. So it's obvious that she uh, likes him. And Beats tells Tucker that these are that Beats tells Tucker that these outfits aren't really corrupt to femme. He just says, okay, and walks off, which I thought was a funny bit. It's like, okay, yeah. Uh, in the photo shoot, Grinder has been brought to the front whilst the others have been pushed way off into the background. And Chibody is in a suit shop looking for clothes like Taka. He cites the book, The Art of War. To defeat your enemy, you must first know your enemy. And he now has the same suit, only the trousers aren't very long. He calls it Artie War. Oh, does he? He says, yeah. You know, it's like that book, Artie War. By and then, and then gets the name of the uh, writer wrong as well. <laughs> At the photo shoot, they decide just to get individual shots of the group, but only have time to do grinders, causing more divisions within the group. In the car, driving back to the hotel, Beats and Grinder are now falling out about the new look and the direction the group is going in. Grinder and Mish go to a restaurant to meet Taka and his partner, and then Mish is dressed in uh, traditional Japanese women's clothes. Mickey and Steve meet in a bar. He's here for more drugs, but she invites him for a drink, which he awkwardly accepts. Back at the restaurant, we have a callback to a joke in the series about Angel not looking like her father, with the <laughs> fact that she's obviously mixed race. I always think it's a funny bit when this comes up. Yeah. So Grind- yeah, Grinder explains that it's because he's a quarter Cypriot, and Mish says that she, when she was pregnant, she used a lot of fake tan, which I always <laughs> like that bit. It's all fine. I've got I've got a bit of a problem with that whole story. Now, just how far they stretch the feasibility of the yeah. of of how much everyone is lying to themselves in that. I mean, I mm. I know it's a, it's a comedy, and it's you know certain things aren't supposed to be that realistic. But I just think at some point at some point in the series there should have there should have been some kind of outburst 
you right. know, watching you gone, obviously she's not yours, is she? Yeah. <laughs> but I think that goes along with her delusion as well. It's mm. almost as if everyone else, everyone just gets more stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to um, mention the Angel's birthday once, is one of the first series, and it's what they actually set it up as the joke is Grinder talking to the camera about um, how he wasn't there for Angel's birth, but it was all right because Decoy was. Uh, and it's just all of this stuff, you just reeling it off where you immediately go, okay, so he's the dad. And yeah. then you see Angel. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you see Angel before that. And then you're like, oh, for God's sake, <laughs> you're so stupid. All of this stuff. And then you go, yeah, you're not even the same race as your child. Yeah. Because I think, like, saying what you said, that something like a big blow-up where she says, obviously you're not the dad, I don't think you can come back from that. So I think that would have to be, it would almost have to be the final point of it. And it would be too much of a downer, I think. I think that's probably the issue with going there, because... I think maybe my problem with it is, is not that they keep it going for that long, is that there's a a joke about it in pretty much every episode. Mm. And, and, And so it feels like... It's piled on so much that why don't you know? Why doesn't somebody just say? Whereas if if it's just kind of hinted at like a couple of times each series, then it's uh, I think I think they revisit it a bit too much. Mm. It, yeah, because I'm not normally a fan of of callbacks in films, but I didn't I didn't really mind it in this one. But I I, I guess there's no real reason to have it in the film. This bit. Do you know mm, what I mean? It's mm. just sort of, it just feels like another way just to kind of get it in there. Get but, another joke. They probably had a whole whiteboard of him. Yeah. <laughs> they, to, they were like, oh, we've got a few jokes left over we didn't use for that bit. Yeah, we can revisit that one. Let's yeah. put that in. Jabodi shows up unannounced and Grinder tells him that they don't need him. He's done nothing, and but follow them around since they've been out there. Jabodi gives Grinder an ultimatum. It's him or Taka. And your body leaves uh, defeated. He then re-enters the room, saying that it didn't go as planned and that he's just fired himself. Yes, there's a <laughs> consensus in the room. Steve tells Mickey about his weed farm, and when they leave, she gives him a kiss on the cheek. And I put this is all quite sweet. They are in uh, an area of Tokyo called the Golden Guy. G A I. I think they actually put up a caption saying that it's such a cool place. It's, yeah, a, it's nice. this area with all these tiny little bars. Like each bar has like a maximum capacity of about five people, right? And oh, wow. each one is ever so slightly different themes, and that they're they're all kind of stacked on top of each other, and it's 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 these kind of like small block of like three little side streets intersected. You can get very drunk down there and have a very good time. Yeah. So Steve's um, Steve's chases after he forgot to get the weed, and that was the point of the drinks. Otherwise, it was completely pointless. And this knocks the wind out of her sails, and she looks really sad. Oh. I know. Uh, Taka wants to speak to Grinder about the name change. He's worried the name Corrupt FM will confuse people. They're no longer a radio station, so they need to change it to something more relevant. The Bang Boys. <laughs> Grinder definitely definitely looks pained at this when he tells about calling them the, the the Bang Boys. It's three days to the concert. Misha's telling Grinder it's okay to be nervous about being on TV for the first time. Grinder says that he isn't nervous. This isn't Beats' first time on the TV. He was on Live and Kicking once, which uh, I enjoyed that <laughs> reference as a child of the nineties. Do you? I was going to say, Daisy, you probably don't remember Live and Kicking, do you? What was I didn't- the- watch it but i know i like know about it <laughs> i've seen like 
uh, archival footage that oh, makes God. it sound really old. <laughs> no, but that makes it sound really old. It's not that, but I have I never watched it live, but I've definitely seen bits of it. Yeah, it was it was our days. SMTV is a. This is what word. I was about to say. I had SMTV CD UK on a Saturday morning. CD UK. I'd forgotten all about CD UK. <laughs> Shit. Uh, so yeah they're now on the set of the Bang Bang show and we have a talking head where Grinder says that promos are really important and one of the main things about promos is doing things that you don't really want to do which is <laughs> a nice bit they walk onto a very pink set Taka is going to hook them up with one of the biggest artists in Japan which they imagine will either be grime or reggae they have dreams of doing a double album with them just like Shaggy and Sting which <laughs> and they go like great album and I love that <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. That is such a moment, is that Shaggy and Sting album. <laughs> no, I didn't realise it was a whole album. I thought it was just a song. Oh, no, they did a full a full album. Apparently oh. it was awful. Sting is insane. Apparently, I don't think we need to say apparently. I think we could probably just know that it was. Yeah, we get. <laughs> Imagine if it was great. <laughs> Maybe it's been slept on. Maybe we need to revisit it. Yeah, put it in the, in the music, in the notes. It, yeah, it can, go, it can go on the playlist for sure. In the dressing room, Beat spots that there's a label for the Bang Boys. Grinder tells him that the group's name has changed, but he didn't tell him about it. Uh, on the clothing rack are four different coloured lycra bodysuits. Decoy also kicks off at the name change, and Grinder says that it's how they translate their name out there, and Niche backs him up. <laughs> Grinder says that there aren't bands with names that sound like a radio station, and Steve says it sounds like a paedophile. <laughs> also, and then I think it's Grinder who says this. He says, "If you can't handle the fame, get out of the kitchen." Yeah. <laughs> That's line. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because Grinder's like getting annoyed and says, "Oh, it just sounds like they bang people in the face." <laughs> the bang boys um yeah beats protest out can't we just wear our own stuff and in the bar drinking on his own is chibode he's talking to himself about taka he asks for a, uh, a double whiskey on the rocks hold the ice which <laughs> that is a, that's a very airplane joke but i'm all i'm all yeah, for yeah, jokes yeah, like that me too it is a jokey joke but i, I like that I thought it worked well. He wanders around the bar offering everyone drinks. It's on me, Taka, as he's shouting <laughs> across the bar. Back in the TV studio, the boys walk along in skin-tight costumes with their hands covering their crotch. And Misha remarks that she's never seen so much of all of them. Grinders <laughs> stares down the camera lens looking embarrassed and close to tears. Like I said, those are always the bits I always find really funny is when he's sort of pushed to that sort of edge. Well, he Beats is, I mean, he's he's over the edge at this point. Is he? He's, yeah. He actually is crying, isn't he? Yeah, he's really uh, looks upset. Beats tells him he's not doing it. Steve's isn't sure if he can swim and Beats and Steve's aren't taking part. Decoy is out as well. Beats says they shouldn't be doing it. It's not what Corrupt Femme is about. And Grinder says that this is bigger than Corrupt Femme, not for Beats. He says that he'd rather work at the bowling alley than be a bang boy. <laughs> <laughs> Grinder says that he'll go solo then. He stands behind Decoy and tells him to hold him back. He doesn't. <laughs> hold me back, hold me back. And he's not. That's good. That's yeah. Good. I don't, this seems a common film with a lot of these films is that there, there seems to be a funny fight in, in nearly all of them. And uh, yeah, um, that's the. Uh, I love, I love a crap fight. I mean, there certainly is in the in between this, isn't there? Yeah, there's a brilliant crap fight there between Simon and Jay. And this was got oh, a yeah. good crap fight in it as well. Yeah, so put the Beats and Grinder have, uh, have an unconvincing fight where Beats knocks off Grinder's cycling helmet. Grinder, Grinder fires them and Beats shouts, Sayonara, you fat lemon. And then Grinder starts crying. But it's not crying, it's adrenaline. 
(laughs) (laughs) which is one of my favorite bits of the film yeah Tucker tells him to stop crying and sort himself out. He's got a show to do. Mish tries to calm him down and tells him to stop crying. And he's like, no, it's, it's the adrenaline. <laughs> it's natural to be sad after you've had a fight. It's the adrenaline. <laughs> <laughs> the excuses he comes out with for stuff always make me laugh. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I think that's one of my favourite ones is that. And then we've got Chibody continuing to drink with the other patrons of this bar and toasting to Tucker. And now it's time for Grinder to perform and he has to take part in this TV show and his challenge is to get over like a swimming pool that's like running across a series of rope swings and he, he yells that he doesn't know how to do it. And then he manages to get across about five of them before falling mm. in the water. He does quite well. He does quite well, yeah. To get across five. Mish, Taka and all the producers are absolutely loving it. We then have a piece to camera where Mish says that everyone wants to be famous. That's the main ambition that everybody has. And if they don't, then they want to be a teacher until they become famous. So quite, uh, <laughs> Grinder is sat with the other contestants, absolutely fuming. We have shots of him being pulled out of the water and being put on a stretcher before they throw him back into the water. Back at the bar, the waiter brings the bill to Chibode and says, put it on the room tab. Only trouble is the account has been closed. He looks at the bill and he's shocked to see what it says. He tries to get the other guys he's been drinking with to pay for it, but they just laugh at him. He tells the waiter that these guys are going to pay for it and then runs away. And he gets chased out by the hotel staff. Beat says that he wishes Grinder all the best and that he doesn't want him to fail. But if he does fail, good. Grinder says that he thought that Beats cared, and if he really cared, then he put on the leotard. Is a leotard worth a friendship of 15 years? I mean, you know. (laughs) Japoni is attempting to sleep in a doorway before being moved on, and he admits that maybe he's not a hustler after all. Beat says that all good things have to come to an end eventually. Like Queen, one of the greatest bands of all time, until Eddie Murphy got fucked up on coke and ruined it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is one of the best lines in the film. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> <laughs> We've now one day to the concert. In the car, Grinder tries talking to Taka, but he ignores him. He's too busy on his phone. Now the rest of the gang are at the arcade. Steve's is messaging Mickey, but not for drugs. He has enough of a stash, and they tell him to go for it. He's out. Out here, he's exotic, but <laughs> back home, he's a butter's freak. <laughs> it's such a lovely... Such a lovely way of describing Steve's as a, a butter's no. freak. <laughs> so they tell him to go and see her and be a man. Grinder meets the ginger-haired lad from earlier, who's a, a big star, and they're recording a track together. Beats gives Steve's dating advice and tell, tells him to text her, W-Y-D, safe. <laughs> she replies with a question mark, and Beats tells Steve's to send one back, and then we cut to Mickey not knowing what the fuck is going on, basically. On that, though, it's the hilarious thing of Beats still being totally delusional because when she responds to the question mark, he goes, oh, good response. <laughs> yeah. Like, he just, how he got Roche, I do not know with that chat. I just, it's just the pure delusion of it all. It just makes me, it makes me very happy. Yeah. <laughs> That's really true, though. I mean, that is, that is how... How how we would text in the early north when yeah. mobile phones were just becoming a thing. When you had to pay per yeah, yeah. per page, yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah, Grinder and the pop star are recording tracks together, but it's not going well. Grinder keeps trying to grab the mic to spit some bars between the singer's lines. Taka doesn't look very happy. Steve turns up at the studio and Mickey doesn't know what the text means. Steve tells her that she's weird and he's leaving. So what does she think about that? And she's confused. And so is he. It's just like, honestly. It's that classic trope, isn't it? When people are having two different conversations in one. And whilst it isn't always the funniest, it's definitely got this weird, satisfying thing going on to watch. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because like he leaves upset, and she. So it's two people are both upset by what's happened, but neither quite understands why. And I think that's quite a nice thing. I've I've become such a sucker over the years for uh, a couple of idiots getting together in a romantic storyline. <laughs> and it, as soon as that, as soon as the seeds of that are planted, they're like, oh, yes, great. <laughs> yeah, I love this. I mean, it, the ultimate example of that is Rocky, which I would describe as a special needs love story. <laughs> I mean, it, but it really is. And, yeah. and that's what's so great about it. So we're now on the day of the concert. It's Tokyo Pop Day. In the limo, Mish asks Mickey how far away from the venue they are. Five minutes. But Grinder wants to know if that's the Japanese time or the UK time because there's a seven-hour time difference. Classic five minutes is the <laughs> response. Just the classic, yeah. Just the classic yeah. one, yeah. <laughs> Grinder talks about what he thought fame was going to be like. He's like, yeah, me and my boys on a private jet, blazing zoots, going to every country and spitting the finest UKG lyrics. But it turns out fame is being with Mish whilst Taka makes him do weird shit, which I, <laughs> which I enjoyed that. Uh, in the dressing room, Grinder wants to know why the others are still on the poster for the event, which has them in this sort of anime-style characters. Taka says he has a surprise and that the guys are here. Grinder is relieved and happy but they're not here. It's just three guys with fake foam heads of Steve's decoy and beats. They've even got one for him if he wants it. Grinder is not happy. And he watches a Japanese girl band performing on stage from the wings. Mish tells him he's just nervous. And Chipotle wakes up after sleeping rough, hearing the sound of the lad's trap from a van driving around the streets. He tells the camera that if he can fire himself, then he can rehire himself as well. <laughs> Taka is looking for Grinder. Mish says he's getting changed. It turns out he's locked himself in the bathroom. So Mish, Taka, and Mickey try to run and coax him out. Now we have the karaoke bar where there's Beat Steves and Decoy singing Dry Your Eyes by the Streets. There's a, just before that, there's a line. I think it's Taka saying to Grinder, Can you just, uh, before he goes on stage, can you look a bit stronger, prouder, and happier? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Try your eyes. There you go. So maybe the streets are garage. Uh, yeah, it's just no. the way that they're in the room and they're obviously going through something. It's just with all sincerity, they put the song on and Beats is just like head down. Like this is how he's processing this moment. Yeah. I just love it so much. You know, those, just... two, those two have done that song in karaoke in real life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. But they meant, he meant every word of that as he said. But yeah, and I like getting kind of serious a bit. Like it just shows like how much music means to all of us, and like mm -hmm. that's their kind of way of getting through this sort of moment where everything's gone yeah. shit. He's putting on dry your eyes. It just made me think of God. Which football tournament was it, Rob? Was it two thousand four? Two thousand four. Yeah, the when England BBC went closer out. when England lost to Portugal. Sorry, Daisy. <laughs> Sorry for football oh. talk. I had to bring so it I've been up. watching the Beckham documentary lately, so oh. I'm a little bit more clued uh, up than well, I usually would be. Yeah. <laughs> it was Beckham that missed the penalty in that match. So it was when they played Dry Your oh, Eyes, man. it was to it was to Beckham missing that penalty. Dry Your Eyes, 
uh, well, again, another song that really, really reminds me of uni. I had that. I had that album. Well, I, I think both of the first two Streets albums. Mm. Um, and it was a classic. Yeah, one of one yeah. of the one of the better number ones of the twenty first century. Uh, yeah, so we got yeah. Dry your eyes. The boys are upset. Chipotle arrives at the concert and manages to convince the guard to let him in. He's got this for Taka, point, pointing at his Kindle. Taka is talking through the toilet door and tells Grinder that Beats and the others don't like him anymore. This shots Mickey. Chibody breaks the door of the toilet down and Grinder's done a runner, leaving the military clothes behind. Chibody calls Taka a dickhead. And now at the karaoke bar, as the boys are about to sing, Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. And Grinder <laughs> shows up. <laughs> that one came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting Total Eclipse of the Heart, I have to be honest. He's back if they'll have him and beats and Grinder hug and say the corrupt FM motto, the rest are irrelevant. Grinder apologizes and says that beats is the best thing that has ever happened to him. Decoy asks where Mish is and Grinder says, oh yeah, she'll probably text her. Back at the concert, Tacker is going to have to replace Grinder as he knows the dance routine. We're now back at the karaoke bar where they find their track on the machine. We have an intercut of the boys performing the heart monitor track with while the fake bang boys do the same at the concert. Mickey and Steve's kiss. Chibody tells the camera that the difference between him and Taka is Taka's a salary man, whereas he hasn't been paid for anything in his whole <laughs> life. <laughs> The end credits tell us that Corrupt FM are now getting paid for their music and they're working on their first album, Corrupt FM, The Greatest Hits, Part 1. Beat says that Grinder, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you missed one of my favourite lines from the film is uh, Steve's saying to Mickey, can I lips you? Can I lips you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. That's it. And then we have uh, Beat saying that Grinder has helped him put it all in perspective and made him realise that it was all his fault. The end. There's a good one at the end as well when he goes, do you know what? People should travel more. They should go away more because it, you don't have a good time while you're there, but when you go home, you're so much more grateful for when you're home and you look back and you're like, didn't enjoy that, but I'm glad I did it. Yeah. <laughs> Something to that effect <laughs> is what they say right at the end, which is just, yeah. Sums they, up travelling perfectly. <laughs> last, uh, last garage track I'm going to mention is the, is the track over the end credits, which is 138 track by DJ Zinc, which is another classic and... That is also the track that's used on the aforementioned uh, UK Garage Horse Racing sketch. Oh, that I was okay. About. So, I don't know. Um, You'd have to sing that one again from your uh, own. <laughs> it's, it's an instrumental and, um, um, yeah, I'm not confident enough. Yeah, I guess uh, the, the next bit to have a look at is what do we all think of the film? So, Daisy, what was your verdict on people just do nothing big in Japan? It's definitely changed on a rewatch. I think after watching the whole show from one to five, back like binge watching it, and then watching the film, it did suffer, I feel, from that thing of, for me, it didn't quite recapture the magic of the show just because it just tried to... Um, we've seen it a lot before where you go, okay, let's do the, the show but throw them in a different country and hope for the best. And I think mm. sometimes it can work, but other times it just feels like sort of quite well-trodden territory. And it kind of feels like a bit of a, not an easy way out, but like that's not enough in itself to make a good film. Mm. You can't just plop whatever you had in the show into a new country and stretch it. That being said, 
after having re- rewatched a few of the episodes and then the film again, I do think they have something so good there mm. that maybe because I'd, like we were saying earlier, the show gets so good by season five. I don't think the film lives up to that. If you haven't seen it in a while, these there's so much in it. I mean, all of the quotes we've just said back, you know, they're not even tenfold of the things that I laughed at, you know. So I think that um, if you're gonna if you're gonna compare it, it doesn't quite match up. But it definitely isn't like a bad a bad go of it. Mm. Um, it's an interesting choice for them to go to Japan and it makes sense why they would. You also have the thing of they did finish the series and they finished the series having not doing the radio station anymore. So you've got that sort of like hurdle to jump over of how do we get the band back together, literally. So I think they did well and I think it's solid. I just don't think it's could reach the heights of what the show does because the show works because of the location and the scale of it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. What did you think, Rob? I think having having not seen series four and five is going to colour what I'm about to say. So what um what's been quite a uniform thing that we've said about direct spin-off films so far this series, Guy, is that the film hasn't been as funny as the show and, and hasn't been as good as the show. Um, and I was all ready to say the same thing again here, but actually going back through the the film and reminding myself of some of the bits that I found really funny, I would say I find this as funny as I do the show, which is to say that I find series one to three, and obviously I do need to check four and five out, very up and down. When it's good, it's really good. And when it's not, it kind of drags or is a little bit lazy or is is too reminiscent of, of The Office, Particularly, right. Alan, particularly Alan Mustafa, who his his he is pulling David Brent faces constantly throughout the. And again, that's more of a problem with the series than it is the the film for me. I, my initial reluctance to ever watch the series was more a kind of I, I was worried that it was going to be here's a bunch of middle class people doing a comment on on working class again because we've seen it so many times before and it and it's always quite punchy downy. And but then having done all this research and realised well, actually you, you know Hugo Chegwin and Steve Stamp grew up on on that estate and reading interviews with Alan Mustafa as well, it, it's maybe uh, done with with a bit more love and a bit more kind of actual experience of of what that life is like. Um, that is not to say that when I when I find it funny, I find it really funny, and a lot of that is is Steve Stamp and Asim Chowdhury. I think are the are the two the two most naturally funny comedy performers um and once again they are the two funniest in the in the film as well mm. um yeah so i would say it, it's broken new ground in terms of it's the first direct spin-off that's as good as its tv but the big asterisk next to that is i haven't seen series <laughs> four and five yeah i think I would say it's it's the best spin-off we've we've done so far. It's the one where you feel like the characters are true to the TV show as well, mm. where we've watched other ones like Man About the House with the Robin character or in the in-betweeners where the characters feel sometimes like a little bit nastier than the TV versions did. So it's quite nice that they've managed to transfer this over to the big screen and the characters still like are the same lovable idiots that you had 
back when you're watching the TV show. I think that's a really nice thing. And I think they managed to keep that going. Mm-hmm. What do you think legacy-wise, guys? Is it too early to say what the uh, what the legacy of this film is, given that it only came out two years ago? Yeah, I think you probably have to look at the, the package as a whole with people just do nothing. I think it's interesting mm-hmm. that we don't, that it's a comedy that doesn't have like Oxbridge or Cambridge footlights connections. You know, it's really kind of, this has come from the world of YouTube. Because that's, that's something I've moaned about in a lot of episodes this series is, you know, yes, people who have come out of Cambridge footlights are very funny and talented people, but it's such a small pool of mm. talent to pick from. And it is, good, you know, it's certainly true of YouTube, particularly in the early years that it kind of democratised uh, p- people making content, certainly. And, you know, this was just, this This was found by a TV exec, you know, a TV exec who actually was onto something and, and knew a good thing when he when he saw it. Well, yeah, and I think that's the thing is I, I kind of started in, in a similar way to these guys, you know, making films on a camcorder with your mates and making sketches and things like that, which is how they started. So I think that's interesting. They put it on YouTube and actually made something and they, they stuck to the guns creatively as well. I think there were times when, you know, the execs tried to get in and make changes to the TV show, which they pushed back on and, you know, they had a vision that they didn't want to lose and they, they stuck to that. And I think it's been good, the crossover of music as well. So like we are talking earlier, you can you can tell that they really care about mm. garage music, that it's not just a piss take. I think that is one of the show's biggest legacies is they have revived, they've almost single-handedly revived an entire genre <laughs> that was dead in the water for well over a decade, wasn't it really? Mm. And, and now, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's bigger than ever, you know, maybe, maybe not as big as it was, from 2001 to 2004. Yeah, had it not been for them, I think we'd, we wouldn't be talking as much about Garage these days. Was mm-hmm. Were they part of the resurgence of Craig David or was that already kind of coming on? Because they, they've done tracks with him, haven't they, and things like that. Oh, have they? Yeah, oh, they've done a, yeah, they've done a track with Craig David uh, mm. last year, the year before, so that's something that they've done. So that's quite interesting, is the fact that like around them coming up, he he came back and sort of mm. has been successful again. And I think the fact that they've they've gone on to do two series of The Curse, you know, mm. is interesting teaming up with the King Gary guys like we talked about earlier. So they've kind of I like the fact that they're all still working together. They haven't just done people just do nothing and been like, well that's it. We And it is very different. So mm. that's what I was saying earlier was that it didn't work for me, but that's because maybe I was going in with the wrong expectations of wanting another people just do nothing in a different I wanted, you know, the same sort of feeling from that and if anything I'm kind of glad that they've done something different and not put themselves in the same box even if it that this time didn't work for me totally it was nice to see them spreading their wings and doing something else yeah yeah definitely because I like one of the things that I probably didn't say earlier is I, I like some of the silliness of people just do nothing mm-hmm. and I think that is re- that is really nice I know what you mean Rob about the kind of I think sometimes the delivery can be very kind of Gervais like or David Brent like and I think that that's something that I think they, they probably get away from and that's why it's nice to see the curse where they've done something completely different and gone on to do something like that so yeah those are that's the kind of legacy of uh, of people just do nothing so the question is, where are we going to rank it? Now, before we started recording, I was all ready to have this kind of in, in the, the lower middle because 
I couldn't, it, you know, it's, it's a couple of weeks now since, since I saw it. And, but having reminded myself of all the things <laughs> I liked about it, I'm now thinking, does this push it up? You were saying you think it's the best spin-off we've seen so far, but does that mean you think it's better than the Inbetweeners? Is, is, it, is it a better film mm. than the Inbetweeners movie? Is it a funnier film than the Inbetweeners movie? So again, for me, it's another one of those is where does it fit in with the rest of them? Um, and I, well, you can quite directly compare it to Mike Bassett and Glamagic Honey because it's the same mockumentary format. Mm. In fact, interestingly, you know, they've managed to take something like Garage, which, which has quite a, a niche appeal, and make it much broader, whereas... This this is one of the complaints we had about Mike Bassett, wasn't it? Is that it did it took something that has quite broad appeal and made it much narrower. Yeah, you know something that just doesn't appeal to anyone who isn't a football fan. I don't. Mm. I didn't think. Uh, yeah. So what 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 do you think? Where's it going? Two. It's it's two, three, four, or five essentially, isn't it? I'm between two and three. I'll be honest with you. So because after after in between this, but before parole officer, mm, or maybe. Our number two, like I said, it's either our second film or our third film, and I'm struggling to, because as I said before, the in-between has had diminishing returns. Yeah, and I think maybe maybe because I've seen the in-between this film, what, three times probably now, I would probably rather watch, because I've seen it less, I'd probably rather watch Big in Japan mm. now. And actually, yeah, you've sold me on it being number two now, Guy, actually, because... And, and what what has done that is what we hated about the in between this movie was the relationship between Will and Allison and what yeah. and how confected and, and rubbish and unrealistic it was. Well, I, one of the things I really love about Big in Japan is Steve's and Mickey. There you go. So Steve's and Mickey <laughs> shit, on, shit on Will and Allison. <laughs> Not literally. I, I'm um, happy for. Uh, well, it's Japan, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I was about to say it's an in-betweeners movie, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Number two, then. I, I was all getting ready to apologise to Daisy for having this much lower in our uh, table, but... Um, you, I'm convinced you otherwise. Yeah. Would you, would you think, have agreed, yeah. Daisy? Would you put it as higher than the in-betweeners? I mean... I think what you said right about the diminishing returns is that it is it, it's in between his movie is a classic as is as is the series, but you do have to leave it a while to rewatch. I think um, it. I don't think it has massive rewatchability. It's a nostalgic rewatchability. I think mm. whereas this feels much more relevant now. It feels the the comedy works for now rather than this is funny because I, I've watched it when I was younger and this, you know, it's a very crude comparison, but I kind of feel like there's a little bit of that element to it. So yeah, I probably would, would agree, but I also agree. It's very, very slim mm. in terms of, it's not I, like it's winning by a mile or anything. Yeah, definitely. I just, I did think when I was thinking about it earlier, I was thinking it was interesting between comparing these two shows against each other and how, like, more obviously it's about teenage boys, and the in between is, is a lot more crude, but there's a lot more sort of sweeter natured sort of comedy mm. in people just do nothing, and it's sort of not as harsh. And you know, it's just sort of like we said before, like kind of lovable idiots rather than kind of sort of horrible idiots. So, uh, yeah, you know, what if you're comparing, yeah, two groups of men essentially and how they interact with each other, mm. it is a very different tone. And I think, whilst I do love the in between is for what it is that probably factors into the rewatchability of it in that 
you have to be in a certain mood for it and it's not heartwarming in the slightest. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not why you'd watch it. No. But if you're going to, yeah, it's something that I'd probably factor into a film if I was going to be saying what I'd prefer. So, And, and yeah. the last thing I'll say, this, I'll say on this is that what it has done that the other spin-offs haven't done, which I kind of hinted at before, is it, it's kept the, again, with the caveat of not having seen four and five, it's kept the level that the show had, which the in-betweeners definitely didn't do, which Man About right. the House definitely didn't do. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's got to score highly for that because after all, that's a lot mm. of what this podcast is about. Yeah, is, um, good point. Are those, is it worth doing these uh, big screen transfers? And I think in the case of Big in Japan, it was. Uh, and it was a shame. It was just a shame for COVID because I think it would have, don't think it would have performed as well because the, the in between has broke all sort of British uh, box office records. Don't think it would have done that, but it would have, it, it would have performed a lot better for sure a couple of years before. But this is an interesting thing, though, because you think about the Inbetweeners was so big when when it came out, whereas people just do nothing. I don't know how big it got with mm. audiences, but the fact that a film they got a film out of it. And, and obviously it, mm. it, it did reasonably well, it is interesting, I think. I think it was the timing of it. I wonder if they could have waited a bit longer and tapped into the, like not even nostalgia, but tapped into the comeback element of it a bit more. Mm. Because I think people were too distracted with the pandemic to notice that it, they had been gone because we all had other things going on. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, did you say it finished in 2018? So if you mm. think about it, realistically, It'd only been two years normal time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that. yeah. And then we go into that weird time where nobody knew what was going on. And then you've got one, you've got it coming out before we've even really got out of the worst of like the, the main bit of the pandemic. Just feels a bit like if you're going to finish a show by saying that they've finished the radio station and you're going to hinge the beginning of the film on that they're no longer together, just feels like maybe it needed a bit more of a gap. Yeah, mm. I'd it's, agree because it's. Cause it's- it's three years, isn't it? And then we're back. It's a fine line, though, isn't it? Because I think in between has left it too late. And right. I, because in terms of quality, I mean, it, it plainly didn't because of how successful it was. But it just in, in terms of, I, I feel like the quality versus the in between is at its best sure. in series one and two. I, and then, but then equally, I think Man About the House came, it, it, it tried to jump on it far too early. You know, like they they started making that film whilst making the second series of however many five was it? So yeah, they did three series in two years essentially in a film. It's a it's yeah, it's a tough balance to to strike, and um, you know maybe we'll profile a film in in coming series that that gets that balance just right. Who mm. knows? Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Last. Last thing to deal with, and uh, Daisy's going to be our quiz master here. I'm very excited for this. Guy has questions on uh, Alan Mustafa, and I have questions on Asim Chowdhury. The scores are currently 19-17 to Ooh. me. Guy, after this, there's only two episodes left, so I think you need to be uh, you need to be winning this one. I would say. Oh God, I need to be on my game today. <laughs> All right, Guy. So your questions are on Alan Mustafa. And the first question is, Alan Mustafa's father was from Iraq, but what country is his mother from? Czech Republic, yeah. Yes, Czech Republic, yes. 
Okay, so Rob, your questions are on Asim Chowdhury. And the first question is, what is the name of Chibadi G's last business venture in series five of People Just Do Nothing? Oh, the series I haven't seen. Well, I'm gonna guess Peanut Dust. Oh, it's a good guess. And actually, um, it was funny because Guy actually mentioned this in uh, in the descri- oh, a description or a reference at some point, but it's yeah. complete tech heads. Complete tech heads. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One nil Guy. Okay, guys, so your second question. What was Alan Mustafa's real-life MC alias? I don't, I'm going to go with the one that he used for his show first because I have done my research. I couldn't find it. It wasn't Sniper, was it? No, it wasn't. But phonetically, it's quite close. It was Seeper. Oh. And he actually does have it in his credits. He does. For the show. Yeah, that's right. Oh, damn. Okay, Rob, your second question. Which Ed Sheeran song has Chowdhury as Shabadi G covered? I really, really, really hope that it's Galway Girl. <laughs> it is not, it's not. It is Shape of You. Okay, so Guy, your next question um, is, which UK theme park did Alan Mustafa work at in his late teens? Chessington. That is correct. Yes. I wonder if we've ever crossed paths. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in 2018, Chowdhury featured in the TV movie, Happy New Year. Colin, oh, Happy New Year, Colin Bursted, but who directed it? Ben Wheatley. Correct. I've not seen that. It's one of the few Ben Wheatley films. Yeah, I didn't know that was a... I went to Wheatley? a Q&A for that as well. So. Was it good? Yeah, it was It was okay. It wasn't one of his, his best ones, but it's worth a watch. It's all set in... It's all like about Brexit and all that kind of setting like a country house with these like a family celebrating. I, uh, yeah, it's one of, one of the few Ben Wheatley films I haven't seen. Um... I do love him. Is that including the Meg 2 or no? Uh, I haven't seen the Meg 2. <laughs> I've seen the Meg 2. Kermode loves I... the Meg 2, doesn't he? Does he? I've not seen yeah. his review. I thought it was shit, but... <laughs> one of those, you know, looking at his filmography, I'm like, one of these films is not like the others. I don't. But then I haven't seen all of Ben Wheatley's films. Anyone could have directed the Meg 2. It's so anonymous that... Right. We are on question four for Guy. Alan Mustafa plays Albert Fantoni in his Channel 4 comedy drama, The Curse. But who plays his wife and brains of the operation, Natasha? Oh, God, I can't remember. I did look the cast up earlier, but no, it's not. Ah. That's not stuck. Um, it is Emma Kenny. Ah. Right, question four for Rob. In Click and Collect, which toy are the characters searching for? I mean, God, it really is like Jingle all the way, isn't it? It is. A Mega Man. I would say close, but no, it's not close. <laughs> Sparkle Hoof, the Unicorn Princess. Okay, we are on... What are the scores looking like? We're on the last question. It's 2-1 to Guy, so this would be a good result. Ooh. I could seal it. Okay, so um, Guy's last question. To whom did Mustafa and Steve Stamp lose their RTS Comedy Writing Award nomination in 2018? wasn't Phoebe or the bridge, was it, for Fleabag? It wasn't. It was Charlie and Daisy Mae Cooper for this country, which is one you mentioned before. This draw level. So, last question for Rob. Which episode of Inside Number 9 did Chowdhury appear in? Is it the one with, with Nick Mohammed where they're sci-fi fans and Rishi Smith is the 
It is no, no one. No, it's okay. not well, then I don't know. It's called, I mean, I haven't seen it, but it's called Love is a Stranger. It's the internet webcam dating where it's, I can't remember what she's been in, but she she's seen different men and then ends up killing them. There's like a Ooh. murder spree going on at the same time. It was on the last series. Uh, that's why, yeah, I haven't seen it then. Yeah. Oh. Okay, yeah, I need to catch up with the last series. That makes the scores, uh, say, 2019 to me, oh. with two episodes to go. Daisy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank what, you. Other than uh, W-rated pods, which I suggest mm-hmm. everyone goes and subscribes oh, to right this moment and uh, and listens to, um, is there anything else you would like to plug? Um, I guess just um, we we tend to bring up on the podcast that I produced a film that's been in in sort of production for a long time. We raised money on Kickstarter a few years ago. We filmed during the during the pandemic in three different stages. And um, lots of people donated to help us do that. Um, so do keep an eye on the I Love You Guys movie. It's at I-L-Y-G movie, I believe. Um, just because we're going to be hopefully releasing it for people to watch soon. Um, so if you do know about it and you supported or you didn't or you're just finding out about it, we'd love your support. So if you can check that out, that would be great. Brilliant. Uh, and thanks once again for coming on. It's been great to have you on and I, I hope you enjoyed the experience. Yes, it's been great. Thank you so much, guys. That was episode nine. We've got we've got next. What's coming next, Guy? We are doing the Tony Hancock 1961 film The Rebel, which I think might be the first ever spin-off from a sitcom to a, a movie. So And it is it's interesting to follow our most recent film with our oldest film. So yeah. we're going from 2021 to 1961, a full 60-year uh, stretch. Yeah, travelling back in time. Uh, uh, so looking forward to that one. Definitely, yeah. I watched it 2021, so it's going to be quite interesting going back and re-watching that one and seeing how it is a couple of years later. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to BritCon Goes to the Movies with Guy Walker and Rob Heath. Thanks to Mark Phillips for the podcast artwork. You can get in touch with us by emailing BritConGoes at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram and Twitter as at BritConGoes. And don't forget to check out the BritCon Goes to the Movies playlist on Spotify and Amazon Music. Please like, subscribe and review so that others can find the podcast. See you next episode.